2 Timothy chapter 4, this great, great letter, standing strong in the last days. We are in the last days, as we have seen, not only in Scripture, but we can see what Scripture has said and then how the days in which we're living just fit in exactly in our, and you can see exactly what the Scripture says. You can see it going on in our world in which we live. I've entitled this message today something a little unusual, but I think it is fitting. Dear Pastor, this last week, my wife and I had the privilege to go to the Chicago area, and I lectured during the week at Day Spring Bible College and Seminary. I was able to do a Bible College Chapel as well, which was a blessing to be able to do, uh, do some preaching when I was down there as well. And uh, I enjoy it, I do, but um, the urgency of the hour in which we find ourselves, folks, is an incredibly vital time, okay? I know preachers have been saying that for a long time, but um, I mean, we know it to be true. We know Jesus is coming. It's just a matter of the day that he does that. He didn't tell us. He didn't tell us the day or the hour, which is fine. That keeps us on our toes. But uh, he has given us his word, and he wants us to take heed to it. And I've entitled this today, Dear Pastor... And here's the truth today, folks. If there was something I could say to every pastor in the world, it would be what we're going to be looking at today. And in a sense, this is an open letter to them. I hope that if you know any preachers, you will share this with them, not because it's from me. I'm just one of many pastors in the world, okay? That's all it is. But what we are covering, it's just a reminder to all of us who are in the ministry, you have the privilege of being behind a pulpit and having people listen to us that we are right on on these issues, that we are not playing games in the pulpit, that we're not wasting time in the pulpit, playing games and tickling ears, but that we are being biblical. As we come to chapter four, we see the last words of a champion for Christ. We will look at it this week, and then we will conclude Second Timothy next week. But let me say this. Remember the context here. Paul is on death row. Paul is in a a Roman dungeon, dark. I'm sure it was damp. It was uncomfortable. He has a body for many years of being persecuted for Christ, probably a body that was hurting. Difficulties. He's been through a lot. He's got battle scars of all kinds that he has faced. And of course, he is writing to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, and trying to encourage Timothy, Timothy, listen, don't be fearful, because he was. Don't be timid, because he was. I need you to step up to the plate, and with the time we have left, I need you to be bold with the truth of God. I need you to proclaim it in a way, not in a mean-spirited way, but in a way that is strong and clear and doctrinally accurate. Paul had battled for souls for decades and had gone through every difficulty you could think of. He understood the world in which he lived. Listen, he saw the pain and the heartache that sin brings into lives. And he saw the blessings that come when people believe what God says and then do what God says. And what does he say to do in the end? His last words to this young pastor. He could have told him anything, but under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what does he say to young pastor Timothy? Well, simply put, he says this, preach the word. 
to what he says. Preach the word. He didn't say share the word. Okay. He didn't say, well, if you would like this, you know, I don't want to offend anybody or anything. No, he said, preach the word. Preaching is different than teaching. Okay. Years ago, a man tried to correct me on this. I was young in the ministry here. We had just come and I kind of told him, no, 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 no. There's no difference between preaching and teaching. Well, there is, there is a difference. The words are different. To teach is to, is to communicate, you know, to instruct. That's what the teaching is. But preaching, teaching has some give and take to it. There's conversation involved in teaching. There's feedback, right? To the class. Preaching is one way, okay? It's kind of like the guy with the megaphone. He's not interested in stopping and asking you what you think about it. He's there to convey something. That's preaching. That's preaching. And he tells Timothy to preach the word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We saw that the last time we were together, that doctrine, God's Word tells us what is right. Okay, we see that. Reproof, God tells us what is wrong. Correction, God tells us how to get right. And instruction, God tells us, or instruction in righteousness, God tells us how to stay right. And then it says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word when taken in, God's word when preached, the whole counsel of God, all the different aspects, talking about all the different areas of life, talking about theology, about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, talking about prophecy. Church is not preaching prophecy today, are failing. 25 to 30% of the Bible is prophetic. For a pastor not to preach on prophecy is to ignore what God has said and preserved for us in his word. That is a travesty. That is a travesty. It should not be happening. But prophecy is not all of our message. Then the Bible tells us about family, about marriage, about husbands and wives, about the workplace, about every aspect of life, our relationship to the government. If we are preaching the word of God verse by verse and going through it, we will touch on everything that needs to be touched on. That's why he says what he does. He doesn't say come up with a bunch of ideas and then go find verses for them. He says, I've given you the ideas. Explain them to people. So he says what he does at the end of chapter 3, and of course there are no chapter divisions in Scripture. Now we all know that, right? Those are added later. This is a letter, that's all it is. So on the end of this, okay, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore... Because the word of God is the word of God, because the word of God is the change agent that the Holy Spirit uses to transform lives from lives of disaster to lives that bring glory to God. Because the word of God does that, he says, I charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Now, the quick doesn't mean you have good reflexes. It means living. The Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant. Be ready. In season. Out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long suffering and doctrine. 
Well, let's look at this urgent message here as we go through. Number one, you'll notice that we will be judged by the Lord on how faithful we are to preaching God's word. Pastor, Bible teacher, we better take this seriously. We are going to be judged by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word, of how faithfully we preach the written word. You're going to give an account for that. You might say, well, you don't know. The church I'm in, the people are like piranha. And by the way, some churches are like that. Ours isn't like that, but some churches are. What do you want me to do? I may lose my job. Preach the word. Guess what? God's got something better for you if you'll be faithful. He's got something better for you. And so I don't want to go through the pain. Well, sometimes you have to go through the pain. You go through the testing to get to the blessing. It's like you go through the storm to get to the sunshine. Preach the word. We will be judged by the Lord on how faithful we are to preaching the word. We see that in verse one. Does it not say that? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. We'll be part of the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Secondly, notice we are commanded to preach the word in verses 1 and 2. If the Bible is inspired and if it does to us and for us what no other book can, and if it has the answers to life and to living, and if we are going to be judged by the Word of God, then we need to preach the Word of God. Not only that, but it is the Word itself that we are to preach. Let me say that again. It is the Word itself that we are to preach. Why? Because that is where the inspiration is. That is where the power is. Not some lectionary entry of the week for a pre-made outline. This is still going on today. I can't hardly believe it. There are books and you buy this book and what does it have? It has 52 sermons for the year and you go and you, you pick it. Somebody, you don't even know who came up with it. Somebody, well, sometimes you do, but somebody came up with this and you, and you go in there and you say, oh, okay, uh, let's see, what is it? It's the 20th week of the month. Let's see, number 20. What am I preaching on this week? What? What? You let an 899 book direct your pulpit ministry? What's wrong with you? Where's the Holy Spirit in this? I would rather verse by verse direct my pulpit ministry. I know at least what I have is inspired. And then that outline, who put the outline together? Is he doctrinally sound or not? Well, I don't know. This is what they gave me. Preach the word. Preach the word. Forget about that stuff. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do if I forget about it. Hey, let's start with prayer. Let's start with prayer. Let's start with the book of the Bible and work your way through. You can't go wrong. Preach the word. Number three, you notice in verses three and four, which we'll read in just a second, we need to preach the word because the days of apostasy will increase. And that's where we find ourselves today. For the time will come. He says we need to preach the word because it's inspired, because God's going to judge us. For the time will come when they, the people, the people, the people of the world, but also, folks, the people of the church, believers, they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The teachers don't have the itching ears, it's the people. 
They want their ears itched, or the idea is tickled, okay? And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Let's break this down a little bit. The word endure. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That means put up with sound doctrine. I think it's talking about the church. The church will get in such bad shape, the body of Christ will get in such bad shape in the last days that they will not put up with sound doctrine. Healthy teaching from the scriptures. They won't want to hear it. Instead, what will they do? But after their own lust, they'll have their own desires, so they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. See, they won't put up with sound doctrine. They want everything but sound doctrine. Their desires and lusts will drive them to find others who will join their cause. These are the ones who will, who will go to a church and they'll say, they won't say, is what's being preached and taught in this church, is it truly biblical? I need the word of God. I want to go to a church that has the word of God. No, they go someplace with their own idea of what they want church to be. And if it's too much Bible, they'll leave because that's not why they're going to church. They're going for bad reasons and they'll look for something that tickles their ears. You know, they'll come to a church like us and they'll say, well, you know, I don't like that church. It's too, it's too traditional. What does that have to do with it? Is it biblical? That's the issue. Is it biblical? Well, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't care for it. I want to go to a church with a rock band. Christian rock band. Let me tell you something. If that is where you are at spiritually, shame on you. If that's how you judge the value of a church, shame on you. Boy, this one's not going to be popular. (laughs) It's the word of God that is the issue. Folks, listen, we need to be here. Pastors, we need to be here. If, If pastors would do what they were supposed to do, it would so strengthen the body of Christ. So strengthen. And not only that, what will the people do? They'll turn away their ears from the truth. And one of the ways they do that is they leave. Now listen, there's tremendous pressure on pastors today. Well, if I, I know, I've heard it. If I say that in my church, people are gonna leave. How do you know that? And can I tell you this? If you tell the truth and people leave, you ought to praise God. Because they are polluting your church. And they're making your church a carnal, fleshly church that does not please God and does not have the blessing of God. Their desires and lusts will drive them to find others who will join their cause. And now look at verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, now my Bible that I'm using, occasionally what it'll have, it'll have a word and then it'll have a little T next to it, it means translation. And what it is, it gives you like an alternate word after the verse. I don't have margins hardly at all in my Bible, but after the verse. And I noticed this one just this morning for the word fables. It has out there as as another translation. Fiction. Yep. Yep. When you turn away your ears from the truth, you turn to fiction. Things that aren't true. It means fables or myths. Fables are myths. They are make-believe ideas that have no foundation in in what is true. But this is so common today. And you've got all these weird ideas and all these the weird teaching. And the body of Christ is getting infected 
by false doctrine. Let me tell you one fable, this thing of Calvinism that is an epidemic. Well, it's more than that. Can I borrow the term? It's a pandemic, but it's a theological pandemic that is going all over the world today, and it is growing. And the only way it can be stopped is for those who know the word of God to boldly stand up and say, enough, this is what scripture says. That is a false doctrine. We are not gonna tolerate it. We are not gonna let people paint a grotesque picture of the God of the Bible who loves everyone and wants to save everyone. Needs to be done, folks. Needs to be done. Dr. Warren Wiersbe years ago, he was pastor of Moody Church. He said this, this is years ago, decades ago. He said, they want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected while the shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. And verse four indicates that itching ears soon will become deaf ears as people turn away from the truth and believe man-made fables, unquote. This is where we find ourselves today. This is why with all the Bibles that are being printed today, the body of Christ is in worse shape than it's ever been before. Number four, we need to, to not only preach the word, but keep preaching the word and not quit. Where do you see that? Verse five, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions. You notice there will be trouble if you do it. There'll be trouble if you do it. Pastoring isn't for cowards, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now the question comes up, this is legitimate and it needs to be talked about in Bible college and seminaries and, and places where young men are being trained for pastoral ministry. This needs to be talked about. If the word of God is to be the focus, if that is where we're supposed to be, if I preach it, there are gonna be some people who don't like it or who are gonna launch an attack or is gonna cause division and all these kind of things. Or if I preach the word of God See, we think in terms of this. If I do the right thing, I'm going to have a mega church. Probably not. Probably not. Now, let me say this. Small doesn't mean right and big doesn't mean wrong. God could do that. But what if people won't hear or won't change? Well, number one, isn't that exactly what God said would happen in the last days? He just said it. He just said it. Now, here's the truth. There are people who will hear and there are people who will change. And that's why we week after week, service after service, do what we do because we know there are people who want the truth. We know there are some good people who want to serve the Lord and do the right thing and let God transform their lives. And so we keep at it. And those who are searching and want to, they think they want the truth, but they don't know what the truth is. Friend, you are welcome. Come, we want you to learn. We want you to know what is truth. Our arms are open. But if you're going to be a rejecter of the truth, you're not going to like it here. And that's okay. So to these young pastors who are coming up, yeah, but what if people won't hear or won't change? <laughs> what, what did Paul tell Timothy to do? Watch thou and all sink. Keep at it. Endure afflictions. Keep at it. Preach the word. Don't stop. Do the work of an evangelist. Keep doing it. 
Make full proof of thy ministry, okay? What about the days of Noah? I don't believe there's, well, I don't know this for sure. I would be led to believe that there's very few pastors today who will preach the word of God who will not see some results, some positive results. Guess what? You already have more than what Noah got. Noah preached for 120 years. He had no converts but his own family. That's it in 120 years. But he kept at it. He kept at it. He kept at it. And God blessed him and God honored him. What about the days of Jeremiah? Think about Jeremiah. Have you studied his life? Here's a guy who went into the ministry and God said, now, as you go into the ministry, I want you to know this. People aren't going to listen to what you say. Hmm. I don't know if I want to do this or not. No, he kept at it. He was persecuted. He was aligned. He was made fun of. He suffered a lot of persecution, but he kept at it. What does a pastor need to do? Preach the word and he needs to keep at it regardless of the results. Listen, you do your ministry for Jesus Christ. You do it because this is what God has called us to do. You let him take care of the results. It doesn't mean we don't learn or we don't try to find more effective ways to do what we're doing. I understand that. What about addressing the culture? What could we address the culture with more than the eternal word of God? Listen, all the problems of the culture are answered in this book. All of them. Watch thou in all things. It means be alert, keep alert. Endure afflictions. There will be persecution and even unfair judgments from those inside the body of Christ. Get ready for it. Get a little tough skin. The third one. Oh, listen, this is so dear to my heart. Do the work of an evangelist. Listen, if you believe the context of 2 Timothy 4, the pulpit ministry should include the preaching of the gospel. When? all the time. It should be there. Not only that, but it needs to be there. It baffles me that the bottom line for the church is evangelism, and yet many pastors today, as they preach, will not even include the gospel in their message. I've been to churches that are sound doctrinally, who have the gospel, who don't even present the gospel. See, most churches don't even have it, but then you have it and you don't present it? well, everybody's saved. Do you know that? How do you know that? Many churches, we visited them, many churches, the pastor will give a great message and he'll say at the end of the service, if you would like to be saved, come forward after the service. I'd say, well, at least the offer's there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the person who's self-conscious? What about the person who's shy? What about the person who's just afraid? You know what you've done? You have put a roadblock between them and salvation. Reach them where they are. Let them know. It's just a matter of believing. It's not a matter of walking an aisle. It's not a matter of standing up or raising your hand or anything, okay? Now we have raise hand for what though? For prayer, not salvation. Raising your hand doesn't save you any more than blinking your eyes three times saves you. And you certainly don't have to come forward to be saved. By the way, is there any verse in the Bible that says to do that? Now listen, if you use it properly, it's not a problem. Preach the gospel though. 
bring people to a decision, say, you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today, he's the only way to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's not by works. And let them know that and let them decide that. And then if afterwards they want to come forward and talk to somebody a little further about it or see more scriptures or whatever, no problem with that. I'm not against that. We just don't do it here, but I'm not against it. You'd be amazed at how many times we've been bashed by Baptists because we don't do an altar call. They think it's part of the faith. They're too ignorant of the word of God to know it's not in there. Sorry, get mad at me if you want, but I'm right and you know I'm right. Listen, again, I'm not against an altar call. I'm just saying, don't make that something somebody has to do if they want to be saved. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, walk forward and you will be saved. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can do that right where you're at. Number four here, under number four. So watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Lastly, make full proof of thy ministry. It means to carry it out fully to carry it out fully. Entirely accomplish it is the idea. This doesn't sound like the kind of life most Christians live today. Few are in any kind of a battle except for those things of the world. They're in a battle to get the stuff of the world, but they're not in a battle for Christ. Verse six, for I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He's on the tarmac of life, you might say. He's ready to go. He's ready to go to heaven. He knows it soon. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He held fast to the faith. He guarded it. He watched it. He stood on it, okay? He stood on it. I want you to see something that uh, three years earlier, he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Hold your place here and look at 1 Timothy 6. You know, if COVID should have taught us anything, it should have taught us boldness to proclaim the word of God, okay? Folks, I mean, well, you know, I've said it many times. We pray, my wife and I pray, we pray as a church that God would keep us free as a nation until the rapture. There's no guarantees on that. God is no respecter of nations except Israel. Israel's the apple of his eye, okay? That is the center of the world as far as nations goes, not America. America's the greatest country that's ever lived. No doubt what we've accomplished for good has been amazing, but we as a nation are living in sin. All the different things, the, the unraveling of our moral fiber as a nation, the exclusion of God from our schools, abortion off the charts, what a heinous crime that is, what's going on with that, and everything else, the apostasy in, in Christendom, I mean, you name it, one thing after another, after another, after another. So what do pastors do? We just go into retreat, wring your hands? No, we need to step up. And we say, you know what? If we're going down, we're going to go down swinging. That's where we need to be as Christians. And if the pastors in the pulpits won't do it, how can we expect the other people to do it? So what if you have closed down again? No, no, we're not going to. God says no. Listen, God says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. The very nation of the word church means a, an assembly an assembly. I say, well, you can always live stream. Yeah, until Apple and Google and all the rest of them say, oh, 
not today, flip a switch and you're gone. I never thought about that until we weren't having services here. It's not going to happen again. Okay? Not going to happen again. And I say, don't say that. It's gone out over the internet. It's not going to happen again. Let me tell you something. There's thousands of churches in America who have said it's not going to happen again. Why? Because we have a mandate from God, number one, and he is God. He is above all else. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And secondly, we do still have, the last time I read, the First Amendment. And that gives us, on a human level and a government level, the right to worship and to meet. Three years earlier, Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good confession or profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight! I thought Christians weren't supposed to fight. And you don't fight about politics. You don't fight about getting a, uh, a toy, a certain toy for Christmas for your kids at Walmart on Black Friday. You don't fight over stuff like that. But we are to fight the good fight of faith. We are in the most important fight we could ever be in. It is a fight for the souls of men. It is a spiritual war that is going on. And yes, we are to be fighting in it. And it is war. And there are going to be casualties. And there's going to be misunderstanding. War is never clean. There's always casualties. Jude says in chapter 1, verse 3, if you have more than one chapter in Jude, you must have a newer translation. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith. That means to wrestle or struggle for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. What is it? It's the word of God. We need to stand up and fight, not human beings. It's a spiritual war. The Christian life is a battleground. It is not a playground. Let us quit playing games in our churches, okay? Because Paul had fought the good fight, he knew the Lord would be pleased with him. But I dare say that most churches today wouldn't want the Apostle Paul as a pastor. I really don't think he would be welcome in most churches. He's too strong. He gets too excited. He's too blunt. He's negative a lot of the time. Paul's negative a lot of the time. Yeah, he is. By the way, his letters, the vast majority of his letters are corrective letters. He wrote them about problems that the people were having in their churches, and he was telling them how to fix them. But he had to get negative so they could see their error and then embrace the positive answer, the solution to the problem. But folks, people don't want to hear it today. They just want positive life coaches in the pulpit. He's too strong, too blunt, too narrow-minded. He's narrow-minded. He's too old-fashioned. He's too contentious. And he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Number five, there will be great reward for the pastor who fulfills the ministry God has entrusted to him. There'll be great reward, verse eight. It's not gonna be easy. You may go to heaven limping, so to speak, as a person, hurting, but when the smoke settles, the Lord will be there with a smile on his face. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home, well done. There are several crowns of reward mentioned in scripture. We won't go into detail, that's for another time. There's the incorruptible crown for a disciplined, effective life. There's the crown of rejoicing for soul winners. There's the crown of life for enduring trials. There's the crown of glory. That's for being a godly example and being a godly leader. I think it's mainly for pastors. And then there's the crown of righteousness for those who are the lovers of his appearing, who are loving the fact that Jesus is coming, who are looking forward to seeing his kind, smiling face. And by the way, there in verse 8, why do they love his appearing? You ever thought about that? It's because they have nothing to hide, because they are yearning for heaven. And this is because they have been living a godly life. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 28, it says, And now, little children, abide in him. Stay in fellowship. Walk in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. I love this that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you're living for Christ, you won't be ashamed when you see Jesus. If you're not living for Christ, you're going to be ashamed, friend. You're going to be ashamed. It's not me. That's what the Bible says right there. So our mission, Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. I love this. And by the way, it's very interesting here. This is Jesus talking to Paul. He says, here's your mission, son, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Listen very closely this morning. Do the work of an evangelist. That's somebody who preaches the gospel and trains others how to preach the gospel. If you're here and you don't know where you're going when you die, I want to share with you how you can be sure of going to heaven when you die. Will you watch this? Will you, will you follow along? Track with me on this. This hand represents you and me. This hand represents our sin. We're all sinners according to the Bible. God loves us. He hates our sin. You see, friend, our sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin because heaven is a perfect place. If there was sin in heaven, you would die here with all the trouble in the world because of sin. You go to another place with all the trouble in the world because of sin. God says, no, heaven's going to be perfect. You're not getting into heaven until you're sinless. Well, how are we going to do that? We're sinners. God loves us, hates our sin. Not only that, but God says our sin has to be paid for. We've broken his law. We have a penalty. There's a wage. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. We'd have to die and spend forever separated from the Lord in a literal fire burning hell. God doesn't want that for us. He loves us. 
but you got to be perfect. So no amount of good works will ever get rid of the sin. The wages of sin is death, not good works. See, you could never do enough good works to take care of this because that's not what takes care of this. Death is the only payment. God says good works won't do it. It says over here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So watch this. Our good works won't save us. Death is the only payment for sin. We have to have a payment for our sin if we're going to go to heaven. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever. So we're in trouble. So what are we going to do? This is the good news. This is the gospel. God so loved us that he took on flesh. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him, he was sinless. And when he went to the cross, all the sin of my entire life and yours, he took it upon himself. He made the payment as a substitute. He died in our place. He was buried and he came back from the dead three days later. And he says, I've paid for all of your sins. If you trust in me that I made that payment for you, it's good on your behalf. And he gives you that moment you trust in him, everlasting life. You're simply putting your faith in him that he has paid for your sins and that he'll give you eternal life. You'll go to heaven. He's asking you to believe that. Trust that to be true. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a free gift. You merely receive it. You don't pay. There's no requirement. There's no, okay, do you pledge to do this? That wouldn't be a gift. Salvation's a gift. Will you trust Christ as your Savior today? Those of you watching over the internet, Friend, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ and only him to get you to heaven, he's the only way I urge you to trust him today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.